Hey, happy Tuesday, Lima Land. Tuesday it is. Uh, Garrett, it is. We've reached the time when me having a real job, like, you know, a job that is a fair distance from here and requires me to actually invest some time, effort, and energy into what I do during the day is going to begin to impact how I feel when I get here. Today, because tomorrow <laughs> we start with students. Today was our second teacher work day, staff work day. I had to present to some new teachers about the discipline processes in our school and blah, blah, blah. And this, this goes back to like Thursday or Friday, mind you, Garrett. I was, I was told that, that we would still have to follow some COVID protocols with our cafeteria. Last year, we only had half our students on campus any given day, and we had to really space the cafeteria, and it was really spread out, one kid per table and all this social no distancing. Gosh. And so... Uh, we had to revamp our cafeteria twice during the year. We had to do seating charts for every lunch period. We had five lunch periods a year ago to keep our numbers down, and, and each kid had to have a seating chart, and we had to you know make those by hand for the first couple weeks. Then we had to turn them into Google Sheets so we could track their, trace their seating every day in case we had blah, blah, blah. So this year, you know, things are quote-unquote better, right? And so we don't have to do as much of that, although we were told by our health department that we would need to continue to create seating charts we would need to continue to try and social distance as much as possible. And I was told last week that, that we were going to get clear dividers for each of the tables. They were going to put a divider on the table. We could put one kid at each end of this square table that's about three feet, three and a half feet across. And that would be our social distancing with this divider. We could put two at a table instead of one. And mind you that we had to clean our tables, clean our chairs after every lunch period. Every chair had to, we, we numbered every chair and numbered every table last year. So a chair oh, went with a table. So every time you cleaned, the chair with the table went had back to go, together. Right, had to go. And, and, and so now we've got two kids at a, at a place and I, I, I am instructed, well, how about if you just did table one, seat one and seat one A? Okay, fine. That'll be good. So when the, when the plastic dividers go on, we'll get to that. Well, about 11 o'clock this morning, it was, hey, those dividers aren't really ready. The braces aren't ready for them, so they're not going on. We're just going to have to social distance do our best. Can you go ahead and get those tables numbered? Yeah, I can. But they had redone our cafeteria. They had put 80 tables with two chairs at a table in our cafeteria. Some of the chairs were matched up by number. Some of the tables weren't. So just so people understand what my day was, I, I spent most of my afternoon matching numbered chairs to numbered tables and then getting a non-numbered chair and printing a label with a 1B, 2B, 3B, for all the way up to 80B. Had my tech department print those for me, putting stickers on the backs of chairs, moving things, like in a full-on sweat by about 1.15 today. And I'm thinking to myself, I went to college and I got a master's degree and I've worked <laughs> at High Point for 12 years not to do manual labor. However, I'm not going to complain. They paid me a, a fair day's wage to do what I did today. But it, it does impact how I arrive here. So, so significantly grumpier from here on out. Uh, significantly possible, let's put it that way, <laughs> that I may, my grumpy factor may be up a little bit. But I do feel good because the Reds, I think, are. I, I'm going to go ahead and I think they're going to make the wild card. There's so much energy around them. Like, it's great. And I, don't, I think part of it yesterday was Joey Votto getting his 2,000th hit. But there just seems to be a different vibe with them lately. And I don't know if it is because they feel like, hey, we're good enough and the schedule's bad enough that we can make the wild card or what it is. See, I think the second part of what you just said has changed my entire outlook on all of this. And that is bad because I really do believe that having your optimism based on professional athletes continuing to perform poorly 
as as the barometer for your chances of performing well is a bit of a dangerous proposition. I think that it really is. is true. However, I looked at the schedule, have looked at it repeatedly. I think maybe I'm riding the high of two touchdowns that they scored last night while, while the Padres took it on the chin. <laughs> Feeling really good. Um, I had said we would arrive at the studio yesterday with the Reds a half game wild card. I was off by a couple games, but we are a day later and they are only a game and a half out. I'm feeling good, and no matter what happened at work today or what happens at work tomorrow, if if it's no worse than that tomorrow, I'm going to come in here in a good mood. Well, that, that's always a plus. But uh, <laughs> and we talked yesterday that Jeff Pass and uh, ESPN's MLB writer had said, went through the the schedule and basically said, hey, listen, if the Reds don't win the second wild card, it's because they blew it. It's See, because it's due to their fault. And and I would rather just feel that in the moment than have a guy tell me that ahead of time because that really messes with my vibe. Because <laughs> now... I would rather... If it happens, I want to be able to blame them. I don't want to be able to say Passon was right. That, that will steal some of my vitriol toward my Reds. Right. And I'm really, as, I, like, I want to claim that as my right to have that toward my Reds as I discover that they failed me once again. Not that I was, you know... Basically saying <laughs> saying that, that the expectation is such that if they don't meet it, they have failed. I, I've not had an expectation for the Reds for a good long while. And now I've, I've kind of fought it off all year. And here I sit on whatever today is, August 17th. Oh, I proposed to my wife five years ago today. How about that? Uh, did you remember that right now? I, I, I Well, yes. <laughs> it was actually in my phone, but I, and I have it in there to remind me. Not that my wife is not a sentimental human being. She doesn't care about such things, but I do. And regardless, on August 17th, here I sit for the first time this year saying to myself, we're going to make the postseason. And I know the reality is that when we do make the postseason, we're going to have to go out to L.A. for a one-game play-in and probably face Walker Bueller, Max Scherzer, whoever. Clayton Kershaw. <laughs> yeah, I, I would almost take Kershaw at this point. I really would. There's a chance his back spasms in the right, second just, inning. Right. <laughs> I mean, I just hate to be that way. But I, I again, I'm just declaring as we sit here today, I have an optimism about the Reds I haven't had in a very, very, very long time. And, and you want to be able to look down the line and, and not have that information that if they do fail that it's David Bell's fault. As a Reds fan, I'm sure it's always to just go straight to Oh, well, David Bell screwed this up, and that's why we didn't make the playoffs. Not the fact that, you know, you got like nine more games against the Pirates and six more games against the Cubs. And You think Dusty ever texts David Bell and oh, says, hey, listen man. to me, man. If you want to do what's best for you, just don't make the damn playoffs because then they can't tell you how, how much you suck. Right, right, <laughs> right, how bad you botched everything <laughs> when you played the, the Dodgers in the wild card game. Um, yeah, I imagine Dusty Baker reads the, looks at David Bell and, gives him a comforting hand on the shoulder like you know he just found out he spent his thanksgiving by himself or something you know just pats him on the back like well buddy if anybody knows what that's like it's me it's me big guy i you know and, and i don't know what it says about me other than i've gotten soft in my old age i, I genuinely root for dusty baker because I kind of thought he got a little bit of a raw deal in Cincinnati, and it really tears at my guts to root for Dusty Baker and at the same time look <laughs> yeah. look at the Houston Astros yeah. and say, I, and again, I'm not angry at the Astros. They just aren't worthy of anybody really rooting for them for a couple of years. And it, it, uh, right, and I feel you're, I, I think the expectations were maybe a bit much when Dusty Baker got, got run out of Cincinnati uh, because <laughs> – as you have seen since then, it has not gone well until I mean, last year. I guess you get last year they made an expanded playoff run where they didn't score a run. Um, so I, I guess 
from Dusty Baker to now, to 2020 at least, was not a great little run there for the Reds. Well, and I said at the time, I don't, I don't care if you want to fire people in professional sports. Who are you getting that's going to be better than what you have? And I remember saying to lots of Reds fans when everybody was screaming to fire Dusty, your gripe about Dusty is he doesn't manage well in the postseason. I don't know that we need to be assuming that the postseason is going to be a part of our future right. when he goes away. I think him being here has something to do with being in the postseason, and I don't like the postseason failures either, but it is a, a nice problem to have to wonder how do we get over the hump in the postseason because now we've found that hump that gets us to the postseason to be a little more of an obstacle than I think we expected it might be for a, a long well, period of time. There, I, I, I'm always just I'm, I'm dumbfounded by the, the paradox that is you know insert name here can't win the big one. Well inexplicably inexplicably any every game before that one is a big one like they, Peyton they, Manning can't win the big one he's lost three AFC championship games well on what planet is like the divisional round not a big game and what planet is the AFC wild every NFL playoff game is a big game Dusty Baker can't win the NLCS okay well winning a playoff series before that was a big one like yeah, <laughs> you can't win the big one you, you gotta win dumb. the last one you gotta win right, the last one right that's, and, that's, and that's really what it right, comes down to all it boils down to is did you win the last one when re in reality what you're saying is he can't win a championship which i don't know if anybody was going to win a championship with those red squads <laughs> that's a fair statement if ever i've heard one so we've reached the end of our first segment. Didn't mean to kind of sidetrack us all onto the Reds because we are going to spend some time on Vado. Look forward to that later in the program. Uh, also got a lot planned for today. Want to make sure you stay with us. This is Cookie and the Monster. He's Garrett. I'm John. Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. I, I, he's putting in some work with, with those little lead-ins. I kind of like that. And as a history major, that's the first time in a while I felt like the second one could be talking about me. <laughs> You're not a you don't enjoy smelling industrial disinfectants. That's not you. It's never really made me stand up and say, "Yeah, what's he doing watching me in my private time?" <laughs> yeah, like, they, got, they got cameras in this house or what? <laughs> but that one, that one made me hesitate a little bit. Hey, thanks for joining us. I don't, if you are uh, on the radio, great in your car driving, as cozy you say in your garage. I just I don't know if people do that anymore, but I kind of hope so. Uh, you can follow us at 931thefan on Twitter, obviously 931thefan.com, and our free 931thefan app. This is Cookie and the Monster. I'm John Cook. He's Garrett Seawright. We are presented by Jerry Lewis McDonald's. You can apply at work at mcd.com and work today and get paid tomorrow at Lewis Family McDonald's. So thank you for joining us here in the Basement Doctor Studio. Uh, we've got another plethora of poll questions today, and i got to be honest, I find these very, very interesting. Cookie, before we get to the poll questions, the Steelers are just wrapping up practice and they had to, well, they have wrapped up practice. They had to have all of their cuts made by 4 p.m. You had to go from 90 players to 85 players today. And there were still 90 players at practice today, which means the Steelers cut five guys after a day's work. Like, they got out there and were so down to the wire that they made these guys go through practice before they got cut. Cry me a freaking river, all right? Because here's the deal. It's not it's not a well-kept secret that I've got some physical difficulties in my life that resulted from being an identical twin uh, whose brother is 100% healthy, and, and I was born... Not salty about that. I, not, not at all, 49-plus years later, and I'm still realizing that I just didn't have to be this way. But anyway, I still didn't even know that I wasn't going to be able to be a high school basketball player. I got cut as a freshman, 
And uh, the varsity coach cut me and the freshman coach put back on the team. As a guy who later became a head coach, I can't imagine how pissed that guy was at his <laughs> freshman coach. But I really liked the guy. Put me back on the team, played with the freshman team, went like 13-3 and three that year. That was fun. Got cut as a sophomore, got cut as a junior, and then by my senior year realized, hey, you know, maybe the coaching thing is going to work. And I went and helped coach our girls basketball team while I was a senior in high school. Point being that one of those years that I got cut being, my, I believe, my junior year, and I loved our head coach. He was a new head coach, not the guy that had cut me you know, when I was a freshman and a sophomore. Um, junior year, um, we have practice starts while football's still going on back in those days. So the first week of practice, I'm getting all the run I want, and I'm busting it and getting after it. And we've got a really you know, pretty nice team, and, and I probably don't have a place on this team, but I'm, I'm in practice every day. Even have our first scrimmage the Saturday, af- Saturday morning after the last football game. Oof, oof. Okay, so nobody has to be there. And some of our football guys do come to the scrimmage, but they really don't do much. And I get some, some, some run in the scrimmage, make a couple shots, even try to take a charge because we were told that every quarter that went by that we didn't attempt to take a charge, we would have 10 suicides. And as we're coming down the it's great. That's great defensive coaching, right? Yeah, there, we're co- don't don't guard the ball. Don't try to put a hand in anybody's face. It, it was a re- stand there and get it run over. It was a reason to put it, to put us on the line and get us in shape. And and so we, we got like twelve seconds to go in a quarter. We're coming down, guy screaming, "We haven't taken the charge. We haven't taken the charge." One of my younger teammates. So I jump in front of a guy and I go down and I sprain my ri- sprain the hell out of my left wrist. And we get done with the scrimmage and we've got a second practice that night when we get back. So we we practice Monday through Friday. Early bus Saturday morning, scrimmage Saturday afternoon, practice Saturday evening, and in practice Saturday night, we're working on a matchup zone that he wants to run, and I'm getting run offense against it. And coach just keeps saying, let her fly. You know, let her fly. You gotta, hey, if you, get, if you get a look, take it. And I'm thinking, well, I mean, I don't ever hesitate anyway. But And, and <laughs> okay. I, I, I let a couple go that I don't, I don't shoot, and I'm walking off the floor toward the end of a segment, and he's like, hey, if I tell you to shoot, you better get it up. And I'm like, what in the hell is this about? And, of course, then we huddle up at the end of practice, and I get, hey, we'll see you guys tomorrow at such and such a time. Cook, you need to see you in the coach's office. So I don't want to hear it. You, you got some income <laughs> from showing up at NFL camp. You get to say you were a stealer for a couple weeks. I practiced for five straight days, did a scrimmage and a night practice, sprained my wrist, and got cut, and he thought he was doing me a favor by saying, get your shots up before I cut you. Right, right. let her fly, because this so, is the last time it's going to happen. So that that's my story, and why you'll get zero sympathy from me from these guys that got cut got today cut. by the Steelers uh, after a practice. That's, that's, that's a little rough, though. It's a little rough. That's firing people after after they put in their day's work. I don't uh, we got a couple of poll questions up at 931thefan on Twitter. We are asking you, first of all, we're asking, should parents wait until their child is 14 before allowing them to play tackle football? That is the new um, results of a study that some brain doctors have put together, and Brett Favre has been chosen as their uh, chief liaison to get that information out there. So that's one of our poll questions. Right now, I'm surprised that 55% say yeah. I, I told John before the show that I <laughs> thought didn't think about, that would fly. about 86% will say no, and 55% say yeah, they should wait until their kid's 14. I'm surprised by that. Uh, we're also asking, would you make the trip to Iowa to see the Reds and Cubs in a Field of Dreams game in 2022? 71% say yes. It hasn't been officially announced by Major League Baseball yet, but it has basically been said that the Reds and Cubs will play in a Field of, Dream games, Field of Dreams game next year. Also, what should the Big Ten's arrangement with the ACC and Pac-12 be? They are meeting up and trying to figure out how they can work together to basically make more money for one another. And right now, 66% say they should have a scheduling alliance more than they should have a merger. And our final poll question, is Joey Votto a Hall of Famer? 
<laughs> and we are going to talk more about that when we come back. But right now, 69% nice say, yes, he is. But we'll, oh boy, we that- will give our opinions on that when we return. Yes, that, that is going to be on the other side of this non-Jingus Jeweler timeout. I will weigh in very quickly and say that if the station could somehow arrange for me to have tickets and be sure that I have a seat, I'm going to Iowa. <laughs> Hands down, no question about it, I will be there. And if not, then I would still dream about it, talk about it, and then ultimately my wife would tell me, no, I'm not going to go to Iowa to watch the Reds play the Cubs, but, but I would I would at least dream about it. And in the in- interest of honoring my one of my all-time favorite sports movies, Semi-Pro, I'm going to scream merger as loud as I can scream merger <laughs> about what the Big Ten should do for that schedule because if you haven't heard Will Ferrell scream merger uh, at the Flint Michigan Mega Bowl uh, in semi-pro then I'm just wasting a reference on you and you check that out I was so, going to say it might be more likely that we could do the show from the from the Flint Tropics Arena rather than the Field of Dreams if, if they could recreate the Flint Michigan Mega Bowl I would yeah, I would go think, do the you show you think Adam Silver's like sitting in his office like how do we get to <laughs> How do we get um, Victor Oladipo to wrestle a bear at halftime of a game? Can we recreate that? Spumoni, I love it. I'm sorry. I, now I've completely foul. sidetracked. <laughs> no, two fouls. Is, I, I, that is underrated movie. Uh, absolutely underrated movie. And if you shut us off to go watch, we will understand. We absolutely will. But we are going to talk Joey Votto in the Hall of Fame. That's what's ahead of us after this non-Jenkins Jeweler timeout. We thank you for joining us and hope that you'll come back on the other side of this so we can talk a little Joey Votto and Hall of Fame. He's Garrett. I'm John. Cookie and the Monster on Lima Sports Radio 93.1 The Fan. Four one nine two two seven ninety three ninety three one triple eight eight nine four ESPN. That's eight 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 nine four three seven seven six. Or you can tweet at us at nine three one The Fan on Twitter. And you've got our poll questions. Uh, Garrett did a great job with today's poll questions. And we're going to spend the next little bit here talking about one of our poll questions and, and weigh in for our opinions on is Joey Votto a Hall of Famer? Now, Garrett, I got to be honest. I, I would have loved to have done some you know, analytics and, and had some advanced right. stats on this. But I, I don't know if you remember. Like, I was labeling cafeteria tables today so i didn't have a chance to, <laughs> well, to dig I into ambush, the ambushed you as you got here <laughs> to dig into the advanced stats but um I, I will start this by saying that there are a number of different criteria for the hall of fame when you depending on the sport that you talk about baseball in my estimation garrett the singular sport in terms of milestones that indicate if someone is a hall of famer uh, business uh, in radio and, and 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 talking heads and pundits say, you know, well, my barometer is: can you tell the story of the sport without this person in it? I, 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 that's awfully nebulous to me, and I I have prescribed. Um, I like to do in terms of position, uh, style of play, career numbers. Who, who's like him? That's in. Who's like him? That's not. Um, I I personally have a, a tough time giving a definite yes that Joey Votto is a Hall of Famer. And I'll, I'll talk about why, but my initial vote on this would be I, I, I can't vote yes that he's definitely a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I, I, when the question is asked, is Joey Votto a Hall of Famer, my gut reaction is no. No, he's not. Um, I, I think he falls into that Hall of Very Good. I think he is a very good player for a very long time, but... Is he? There are 22 first basemen in in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Is Joey Votto the 23rd best first baseman of all time? No. So I, I just I find that a, a tough 
at that at that position, you got to either have three thousand hits or five hundred home runs, basically, and he doesn't have. And he's not going to get either of those. I, I guess you kind of kind of made some of my argument for me. I, I'm a Joey Votto fan. I root for Joey Votto. I'm right. a Reds yeah, fan. And don't mistake yeah. that I, I think he's great. And, and I think he's a good teammate, and I know he's a good leader, and I know he's a trooper, and I know he never makes excuses, and I, and, and I know all, all of those things are very, very valuable. But if I am going to try to talk about a first baseman in the Hall of Fame, I'm going to try and identify from either – Batting average, power numbers, or defensive prowess where he is elite. And Joey Votto isn't necessarily bad at any of those things, although he's had some moments defensively um, that would make you think he might be. Um, he just doesn't have the, the things that you, you talk about. very milestone-driven sport. He's got 2,000 hits in 15 years. I'm a little surprised the number's that low. He's got what's he got? A, a little over a thousand RBIs, maybe. Yeah, he's just just over a thousand RBIs. Yeah. You know, again, good number, but not not eye popping. Um, career batting average, three oh three. Um, that's great. And I hear you know the expression is three out of ten is makes you a Hall of Famer. Right. I yeah. I, I, I just I, I don't know. We, we talked about it. How, how you know batting title, silver sluggers. You know, doesn't have any, right? Um, yeah, he's never won the Silver Slugger. You know, so and, and Gold Glove's not really his thing. Power right. numbers just really aren't, aren't... He's won a Gold Glove, one MVP, six-time All-Star in 15 years right now. Those aren't, those aren't Hall of Fame numbers. Yeah, I, I, certainly they're not slam-dunk Hall of Fame numbers. And, 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 you know, do intangibles matter? Yes, they do. But it was interesting because Yahoo Sports uh, put together... Kevin Kaduck, I think is his name, put together a, a list of the 20... "Quote unquote, twenty best players, uh, twenty most hits players, twenty players with the greatest number of hits that aren't in the Hall of Fame right now." Now that list is a little bit skewed because obviously there are going to be some very controversial reasons why guys aren't in the Hall of Fame. Obviously, number one is Pete Rose, forty-two fifty-six, not in the Hall of Fame. We right. know why that is. Do we believe he should be in the Hall of Fame? Hell yeah! If you don't, then I really don't really want to talk to you about that. Albert Pujols not in the Hall of Fame for an obvious reason. Guy's still wearing a uniform. Right, still playing. He's got 3,294 hits. He's going to end up, you know, well over 3,300 hits. Pujols is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He yeah. just has to decide when he's done playing. Very very well could be the next unanimous Hall of Fame player. I, if he's not, I want to talk to the guy that keeps him from being. Adrian Beltre is a guy that I find interesting. 3,100, almost 3,200 hits. Um, he'll be eligible in 2024. I think Beltre will get there. On the first ballot, probably, but he will be a guy that people don't realize had the numbers that he had. And this is just his hit total. A-Rod's not in, 3,115 hits. We know why A-Rod's not in. Again, don't want to have that real conversation with you either. Uh, Ichiro, 3,089 hits. Obviously not eligible yet. Will be eligible in 2025. Rafi Palmero is not in the Hall of Fame, period. (laughs) As I wag my finger at you, we know why Rafi's not in the Hall of Fame. Miguel Cabrera happens to still be playing, 2,951 hits. Barry Bonds, 2,935 hits. We don't talk about why he's not in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> and I mistakenly made the statement to you off air that Omar Vizquel is the first guy I see on the list, 2,877 hits, who really doesn't have currency attached to his name. I was I was talking about baseball-related controversy. Right, right. Now he's got his own issues. <laughs> he's got more than a few. More than a few. Will he be a Hall of Famer? Uh 
here's what I'm going to say, and I'm and I'm going to show my true colors. If Omar Vizquel gets in and Davy Concepcion never did, I am going to be so pissed. I might make a trip somewhere and have a conversation with some people because I think that's just flat wrong. I think if Davy Concepcion is not a Hall of Famer, they ought to close the damn building, and that's my stance, and it's going to be my stance. I, I obviously never got the chance to see Dave Concepcion play, but I've, I believe that Omar Vizquel is a Hall of Famer. Um, he was one of the best shortstops in the American League for 15 years. Um, defensively, and I don't defensively never gets no, nobody ever gets into the Hall of Fame defensively. But I think that's a, a big a big oversight. I, I, will I, I say, would agree. Now that I look at some other first baseman stats, I, I have Jim Tomey and Frank Thomas up probably more DH than than first baseman. Joey Votto's numbers are pretty comparable to Jeff Bagwell. To where Jeff Bagwell was a career two ninety seven hitter, Joey Votto was a career two three is a career three hundred three hitter. Now Jeff Bagwell had four hundred fifty home power runs, runs. Yeah. and fifteen hundred RBIs, but Jeff Bagwell only won one MVP. Jeff Bagwell only won three Silver Sluggers. He only won one Gold Glove. So in that vein, he's very similar to Joey Votto. Now Joey doesn't have the home runs and the RBIs, but he's got the average. He's got the MVP. He's got the Gold Glove couple all six all-star appearances well and, and again so you're talking first baseman so i was scrolling down through this list and looking for first baseman i mean that, that's what i was looking for going through this list and there are a few guys here that are on the list that would qualify as first baseman the first one that jumped out to me number 19 on the list 2,599 career hits I, vado's not getting to that number in my estimation yeah i think um, that's... that's not gonna happen I, I suppose it could but steve garvey and when i saw garvey i thought he's he's vado I mean, he, he's, he's that's that's what I think of when I think of Votto in terms of a type of player. Now, if you'd asked me as a kid, high schooler, is Steve Garvey going to get in the Hall of Fame? I would have said, yeah, I think he's got a great shot. I think there's an argument to be made, but I think it makes my point for me. Garvey, if he was going to get in, I think would have gotten in by now. Right, and to, right. to argue that Votto is a slam dunk, when I think there's a lot of compare made between he and, and Steve Garvey, Again, I could be wrong. I mean, maybe I wrote Dodger teams because they were really special. And I also believe that it's true that Votto gets hurt by the fact that he has not been associated with a team that had right. the kind of success that, that sometimes can do that. But Al Oliver was a first baseman on that list, 2,700 and something hits, um, is not in the Hall of Fame. A, a guy that I think you know most people would assume isn't a Hall of Famer, uh, although Al Oliver was a very, very good player. Um, Bill Buckner. 2,715 hits, not in the Hall of Fame. Now, I think you could argue that Bill Buckner needs to go in the Hall of Fame just because that ball went between his legs, and you cannot <laughs> tell the story of baseball without telling that one, and that's not that doesn't define Buckner in any way. But again, Buckner's another guy who I think you could make and should make a very strong argument for. But if he's not in, then I think it stands to reason that Votto's not a slam dunk. Uh, yeah, I, I think those are all fair points, and, and I guess now that I do more digging, Jeff Bagwell was a four-time All-Star in 15 years, and he made the Hall of Fame. He's been a six-time All-Star. was a MVP just like Jeff Bagwell. Won one gold glove. Now Jeff Bagwell has three silver sluggers to his name. And when you look at the 162-game average, Jeff Bagwell was 34 dingers, 115 RBIs, and, and hit just shy of 300, where Joey Votto's at 27 and 91, or 28 home runs and 91 RBI. I think they're very comparable players, but I, I just don't know that. I, I think one of the big things he didn't play for 
the Yankees, Mets, Dodgers, Giants, Braves, Cubs. Um, you know, he played in Cincinnati his entire career where he didn't want, he wasn't on great teams, and he's not a great individual player that, you know, leads Sports Center or anything like that. He's, he's just a very good baseball player who goes about his business, doesn't talk a whole lot. Well, probably going to end up hurting him in the long run. I'm going to rest on this, and I don't know how many of our listeners are familiar with Chad Spencer. Chad's former baseball coach at Shawnee High School. Chad and I went to college together at Northern. He actually taught and coached at Upper Soda Valley, where I'm an alum for a while. But Chad and I go back a long, long ways, and for what it's worth, Chad's ready to go to Iowa, too. Uh, And he won't have a near hard time talking people into it in his life as I will talking people in my life into it. But Chad believes Votto's in. Maybe not a first ballot, but he thinks he'll get in because of the shift in focus to some more OPS and on-base percentage and things like that over hits and average over your typical stats um, makes a pretty convincing argument that Joey will probably get in. But again, the, the length of this text and the things that he mentions are, are uh, I think, give me a great deal of confidence in how I feel about this. I think you can argue and, and make a very strong argument that Votto should be in. He may get in. Yeah, I, I think but, he gets in with that like veterans group. Like I, I don't know that because I think the baseball writers have that mindset of if you didn't have 500 home runs or you didn't get 3,000 hits, you're not even in the discussion. A lot of it for Votto may come down to how much longer he plays after this year. Yeah, can he can he get to 25, 2,600 hits? Can you know can he can he play long enough to do that? That may him plus. Uh, you know, to me, and and I hope he plays next year because I really want the year where he's not hitting two nine in April. Really made, the, and this one will let me put my head on a pillow and rest well tonight. Ozzie Smith and Louis Aparicio are in due to defense. Concepcion should be into my argument. I'm good. I'm all oh, set. Yeah. I got somebody telling me Davey needs to be in. I thought it was just me and Marty Brennan for the longest time. <laughs> and if I was grouped with Marty in any category, that made me a little bit squeamish to be to be somewhat honest with you. <laughs> so I'm glad I, I know that there's somebody else out there that feels kind of the way I feel about getting. Davy into the Hall of Fame. So uh, you can you can uh, call into the program. We've got different spots during the show. We take we, we'd love to hear what you think. 419-226-894-ESPN. That's 888-894-3776. But we are up against a Don Jenkins jeweler timeout, and we will uh, take that timeout now. We will come back and uh, get into a few other things. I mean, there's still some baseball to be talked. I want to talk about Tebow getting cut. <laughs> I want to talk about Joe Embiid's contract extension. But we can talk Reds. We can talk Browns. Um, or anything you want to talk about, too. Again, 419-227-9393 or 888-894-3776. You can be a part of the program. On the other side of this, Don Jenkins Jeweler Timeout, Cookie and the Monster on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. Welcome back into the basement, Dr. I'm John Cook. He's Garrett Seawright. This is Cookie and the Monster on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. We are coming to you live from the basement Doctor Studio and presented as always by Jerry Lewis McDonald's. You can apply at work at mcd.com. You can work today and get paid tomorrow at Lewis Family. The topics, Garrett. Uh, the, the the first one, I'll, I'll I just Tim Tebow got cut, and I I know that it's likely that that gets filed under as expected. Right. Um, I I am troubled a little bit by the response that Tebow getting the opportunity he got drew from so many people. Why is he getting this opportunity? It seems ridiculous. Blah, 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 blah. And everybody said, well, he's just going to get cut. So my question to you and and, and maybe to our listeners if if they want to weigh in, if he was going to get cut, then why is it a big deal that he got invited? Uh, So I was one of those people that thought "This this is dumb. This is a guy who hasn't played in the NFL in 10 years. Playing a new position, who uh, 
if I can be somewhat cynical about it, is just trying to find another avenue to stay relevant where he wasn't playing minor league baseball because he you know, just loved baseball and thought there was an opportunity for him at the big leagues. And, you know, he, it was his second sport growing up or whatever. It was an opportunity for him to, to continue to stay in the limelight and, and be someone that the people still knew about and was still a draw to people. And that, that fed his ego. If I can be cynical about that, I thought that was the, this was the next step in that. I, I think cynically, he took a spot away from somebody that might've had an opportunity to, actually make the roster that there's a tight end that played somewhere or whatever that, that could have had that opportunity that was granted in reserve for Tim Tebow and it's not completely Tim Tebow that my criticism lies so, in it, it goes it goes under under Urban Meyer as well we talked about it yesterday he's very clearly got a blind spot for people he has an affinity for and I, I think there's just as much blame that goes to Urban Meyer as there is to, to Tim Tebow so so I have two thoughts the one is is less controversial but probably would draw more response and that is if you worked your ass off and become a hot commodity and, and, and a guy that people are after and pursuing as a head coach, did you do you earn the right to to grant people some opportunities they wouldn't otherwise get because of the position you have? Is there anything wrong with doing that? I mean, wrong meaning is it amoral right. or unethical in any way, shape, form, or fashion? I don't see it as that, even though it might be a waste of time and it might not be the best optics. The second thing that I'm going to posit is this, and, and please understand I am the furthest thing from a hot take artist. I do not want to be a hot take right. artist. I don't believe I'm smart enough to have a hot take, pull it off, and convince you that I believe what I'm saying when I don't because I'm not Skip Bayless. I just I can't do that stuff, and that goes for the whole show, the whole state. I I don't have the ability to lie to you and say things I don't believe, and I don't think you do either. I probably have it. I just wouldn't be able to make it feel real. And and so when I say this, I'm saying this literally as something that I thought about at the time that it happened. The likelihood is that Urban Meyer and Tim Tebow began talking about the possibility of Tim Tebow joining that that them for a tryout very early on after he was hired. Yeah. The reality of it is that he wasn't announced as a camp attendee, if I remember correctly, until after the Chris Doyle fiasco. And there's a part of me that wonders to some degree if hiring Chris Doyle as your strength coach, watching the backlash and having to backtrack and remove Chris Doyle and go in another direction, if it hadn't happened that way, is it possible that Meyer may have said to Tebow in a private moment, look, I'd love to have you come in and you might be able to come in and be a, a guy in our camp as a mentor for our guys and be a part of our staff, but putting you on the field is probably not going to be a great idea. And then after the Chris Doyle thing, it was like, hey, well, that can, can we talk about something else? <laughs> well, see, I, I, I understand that thought process, but that the those two things happening back-to-back make me even more view Urban Meyer in a worse light of, I, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know if, if you know what you're doing. It certainly looks as if... I, there, there's a difference between taking the conventional approach and kind of taking the... The, the stupid the stupid approach, I guess, is a bad way to put it. But it almost felt like he was trying to make bad headlines. Well, <laughs> with, and, with, you do that back to back to back. And again, I, but I don't think anyone that listens to this show would presume that it's impossible to uh, assume that Urban Meyer is capable of making decisions that, number one, can plausibly be defended as in the interest of someone else while serving his own interests extremely right. well, and bringing Tebow to camp to deflect from Chris Doyle and that fiasco certainly fits that bill. It does. You're, I had never thought of it that way. Um, it would certainly not. I wouldn't put it past anybody to say, 
hey, all right, instead of talking about that, we're going to be talking about this now. And I could be completely wrong and way off base, and I'm not trying to bash Urban Meyer, and I'm not trying to support him one way or the other. It's just something I found a little bit curious about the timing of it. Now that Tebow's out, and we haven't talked about Chris Doyle in forever, that's probably good for everybody involved. So I want to go ahead and take our next Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout, and when we come back, we're going to get into that discussion uh, about your kids playing football before the age of 14. You'll want to be a part of that conversation right here on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan. And just like that, we are into hour number two. Man, it goes fast. At least for me, it does. <laughs> I don't know how everybody out there feels about it. It goes really fast. So, hour number two. Garrett, I, you know, you spend part of your day, at least I do, part of your day, part of your evening, kind of trying to find what, what's that thing out there that can kind of hook listeners, catches my interest, that might be uh, a little bit off topic, a little bit outside the, 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 the norm, or, or not what everybody's talking about, because it's easy. And I think probably understandable if we follow a, a pattern. I mean, there's sports talk radio on all day on our airwaves, and most of the important stories are getting covered. We could we could walk right through a lot of those things and and would be certainly understandable. But I'm intrigued uh, by what you and I talked about when I arrived today, and that is Brett Favre and his position on this idea. It was one of our poll questions. Uh, should you let your kids play tackle football prior to the age of 14? And, and Favre has aligned himself uh, with a group that that is is making a heavy push against that idea, yeah, and I, I think there are especially now with with parents who will have kids that are under that that fourteen year age. Brett Favre will have as much sway as anybody in, in that kind of population of of folks who who have kids that age. Age, um, he's partnering with the Concussion Legacy Foundation. Uh, basically where they have believed that they have been able to identify CTE in football players before they are deceased, which has always been the problem before, is that um, CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, uh, is the the thing that is football players' downfalls because repeated hits to the head. And they've believed that they've been able to figure that out now and that it happens significantly less if you wait to play tackle football until the age of 14. And I'm flat out surprised at the, the poll question we've got up. It's 51% yes, say they sh- they would wait until their kid is 14 to allowing them to play to play tackle football. Well, and, and to be honest with you, that, that looks a little more like I thought it might. I think when we first opened the show, it was more like a 55-56% uh, slant that way. I, I could see this being truly a 50-50 issue. Um, and, and, and I think there's good reason for that i think that that the same people uh who are huge football fans are also probably going to be the people that say you know injuries are possible no matter what we're going to take the precautions we can take you know my kid's going to drive at 16 Mm -hmm. even though driving is is a high risk activity they're going to drive at 16 and if if we've always had in, in our community we've always had you know quote unquote midget football or youth football and we teach it properly we're you know we're gonna we're gonna assume some of that risk i i think that's a valid uh perspective to have but based on the numbers that we've seen and the increase in um the media coverage and emphasis on the potential impact of concussions uh much much later in life it also stands to reason that a certain percentage of the population would begin to look at that and say well i might want my son or daughter to play football uh, when they are young, what what we can do to protect them against long-term damage for as long as possible, we ought to do. Uh, I, I I don't have a problem 
listening to arguments on either side of the issue. Um, and, and again, that 50-50 split to me feels like more of what this is. Uh, I'm, I'm a little curious and I would like to hear more about, you know, kind of what Favre's role is going to be and what his position is on that. Because obviously, I don't know that Favre's ever spoken publicly a lot about concussions, but there's a long and well-documented history of Favre's struggles with injury during right. his football career. And, and I've got to believe the way he played that concussions were more than a part, a small part of what he dealt with as well. Oh, I, I'm sure. And I have no problem with listening to or having people listen to both sides of the argument. The problem is, is now no one can listen to both sides of an argument. It's if you don't believe the same thing as me, you're wrong, stupid, and I hope bad things happen to your family. I don't I, I I don't know how I would feel about this. It's just there's so much, especially if I can you know downgrade our area from there's so much, well, that's how I did it. That's how my dad did it, and by God, that's how my son's gonna do it. And I mentioned to you before the show that there's there's so many people who doctors now say, hey, as a pitcher, don't have your kid throw a curveball before the age of twelve because it'll mess his elbow up. And everyone says, Oh, okay, that makes sense. And then when that same doctor says, don't have your kid play football until he's 14 because you're going to scramble his brain like an egg, that same person will say, oh, we got to toughen him up. we got to get him in the Oklahoma drill. Like, well, hold on. Like, how, do you, how do you follow that thought process of curveball equals bad elbow, but your, your kid getting your brain scrambled is like, oh, that's just how, that's, we, that's just how we do it around here. Like, hold on. It, 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 there, there's a difference there. I would say that there's that there's definitely an argument to be made in that regard. 419-227-9393 or 888-894-ESPN, 888-894-3776. If you would like to weigh in on this topic, if you have strong feelings one way or the other, um, I, I, I think the topic for us is one that, particularly to our area, as you mentioned, our area is unique because we all spend a... I don't know, maybe an inordinate amount of our time on these airwaves talking about the dominance of the MAC when it comes to the sport of high school football. And essentially, they don't play tackle football yeah, they're, they're, when, when their kids are young. Parkway and Delta St. John's are the two that have peewee or midget football that, that would align with what you would expect for 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-olds to play. And I'm interested in it because, again, you know, my my approach to sports and my passion in sports has always been basketball. And we've talked recently on this program about the evolution of basketball teaching to to get big guys, quote unquote, mm-hmm. you know, what would have been post players, uh, to, to get them more skilled earlier and, and developing perimeter skills. And and nobody's relying on being that back to the basket guy. So I, I have the question from a football perspective: if a kid is let's say, genetically predisposed to being a lineman. Is there a downside to that kid playing flag football and being in a skill development mode real early and not playing? I mean, is there a downside to not engaging in the I'm-going-to-move-you-against-your-will portion of football prior to the age of 14? Is there a downside? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I think it depends on the kid because – and, and that's – a lot of football coaches will say – let everybody play every position. Let everybody do everything because why drive away someone that when when I was eight years old, I was significantly skinnier than I was when I was 14. If I had made, you know, if I had played peewee football when I was eight, I probably would have been, you know, a running back. By the time I was 14, it was very clear I was going to be the right tackle. Like it, it was abundantly clear that guy's playing the offensive line. Um, so I, I don't know. There are a lot of kids that, you know, have that growth spurt and then everyone goes, Oh man, <laughs> that that kid's a stud now. And if you've said, 
well, you're going to play left guard, buddy. And he said, to, to hell with that. I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't play quarterback. You, you, you have you know better kids in your stands than you would have on your field. And so I think that's part of the, the danger of pigeonholing kids at that, posi- at that age that by the time they get to be in junior high or high school and they're like, well, I play center. And the junior high coach is like, you're the fastest kid I've got. Why would I play you at center? Well, that's just what I've always done. Is that's one of the downfalls. And, and again, I, I'm admittedly in in no way an expert. And I, you know, if, if that I don't know if that makes it not credible to listen to what we have to say on. I guess you get to make that decision. But uh, you know, I really would like to hear some perspective of, of of guys that do this for a living, guys that are building programs about the upside or downside, the, the the pluses, minuses, pros, cons of of not having tackle football in youth sports and what you do to develop. Uh, the things that you need in your players, because I I would think it would be difficult to argue that you know because they don't play tackle football in third, fourth, and fifth grade, Coldwater and Marion Local sure do put themselves behind. Right. I mean, are are we going to go ahead and say now because they do that, then that just further illustrates the genius uh, of of, of and, Gooden, and, and Tim Goodwin? Goodwin I mean, and, is right. that is that what we want to do? I don't I don't know that that's necessarily the case. It's just it's an interesting argument. We only got a couple of minutes before we have to take a break or a minute or so, so uh, we we're not. Gonna to get a chance to get too many people to weigh in now but you really could during the course of the program if there's someone that's got a different perspective again i encourage you to give us a call and let us know how you see this what your take is on it right and, Would, and if you if, feel strongly if you've got a 13 year old who wants to play tackle football are you going to stand in their way or or, or do you feel passionately that they should be playing tackle football in third fourth fifth grade let yeah, us know and, and and i loved when my son played football that that was one of the hard things for me i'm a basketball guy and my son only played basketball in high school and everybody assumes that you know well that's just who you are and that's what you made your son do and i, and I didn't my son played uh football in third grade fourth grade fifth grade and sixth grade he played football in seventh and eighth grade and he, and he played very little in third grade a little more in fourth grade a bunch in fifth grade a bunch in sixth grade he played very little in seventh grade and he played a lot in eighth grade it's kind of how the progression goes but he also did get a minor concussion in the eighth grade he got his bell rung he missed a couple of games didn't have the headaches or anything but it, it scared him a little bit and, and he, he stopped playing after his eighth grade year and, and he simply said to me i'm still very small uh, basketball is probably going to be the sport that i like the best mm-hmm. and if i go to football as a freshman i'm not going to play a lot when i do it's going to be on saturday mornings and i don't want to get hurt i don't want to get my bell rung again and those were his words he got his bell rung and it scared him i didn't force anything to i i wish he would have played football but that issue was very real to him when he was 14 it was a very real issue for him and i'm not sure that it would have been good of me as a parent to try to guide him either way right. i listened to what he had to say i shared my insight on what could happen to his knee if he dedicated himself to basketball he could blow it out and the same thing could happen uh, and ultimately, he got to make that decision. But I think it was driven by that, by, by the fact that he grew up in a time when we focused very publicly on that issue, and then he he dealt with it himself. And there's there's a lot of people that would say, I would rather have a uh, concussion than a knee injury or uh, an ankle injury or something like that. And the people who say that have never really had a, a pretty bad concussion. When I, I, I was, believe me, I was a very much below average high school football player. I had several concussions to the point where, you know, you're puking the next day because you can't see straight and things like that. That's scary. I believe me, I dislocated my kneecaps a bunch of times too. I'd much rather do that than not be able to go to the movies because I can't stand the sound and being in the dark at the same time. There are, it, there are real complications to having concussions. And I think for a while there, it felt like people believe that if you said, I have a concussion and and I'm afraid to go back out there, that you were a sissy, you didn't, you know, you weren't a team player, etc. When that's not the case at all by many, many, many stretches where these professional athletes that do come out now and say, 
hey, this was a real thing for me that I struggled with, that you got guys that retired because of concussions say, hey, this is scary stuff. It, it, it adds some more credibility to that. It's not a new topic in any way, shape, form, or fashion. What is new is, is Brett Favre's involvement with this organization. It'll be interesting to see how that role develops and what evolves from that group and the types of things that we hear and see. We are really, really late for a Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout, and we're going to miss football at 515. It's going to be more like football at 520, but you can join us for that on the other side of this Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout. I'm John Cook. He's Garrett Seawright. We're cooking the monster on Lima Sports Radio 93 on the fan. And Service Master at your service welcomes you to football at 515. Hard work, determination, and sportsmanship creates opportunities to be your best. Like Bear Bryant said, it's not the will to win, but it's the will to prepare to win that makes a difference. And that's why at Service Master, they don't cut corners, they clean them. And we have been discussing the idea that Brett Favre is floating out that uh, kids shouldn't play tackle football until they're, they're 14. And uh, we're going to head to the Amerifirst Home Mortgage Hotline as Mark from Van Wert has been patiently waiting to uh, join us. And uh, Mark, what's your uh, what's on your mind on this uh, subject? Hey there, guys. So, uh, as far as I'm aware, this is still going on. But don't most of the Mac schools not play any sort of football until they get to middle school? Uh, I know that yes. used to be true, and as far as I know, they still don't. There's no you know flag football, no you know two hand touch tackle and whatnot because as it's been proven, young kids learn bad form, especially when it comes to tackling. And correcting that becomes so much more difficult. You know, when you've got a th- you know third, fourth, fifth grader that's out there trying to make a tackling, you know, <laughs> and we know a lot of the, you know, God bless the people that volunteer their time, but a lot of them are parents. They're not football coaches. They're not teaching them proper fundamentals. But if my son wants to play football, I'm fine with it, but we will sit down and have a talk and be like, listen, this is what can happen, you know, as you get older. And, you know, you can use the, the examples of Junior Seau and players over the years who, you know, their brains became so degenerative because of all the concussions and all the hits. It's a risk that you're taking, so you have to take that into account. Yeah, uh, Mark, there are the Parkway and Delphi St. John's are the two schools that have – um, a, a tackle football program from you know third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, um, and, and then yeah, everybody else in the MAC basically starts at junior high. And and you're right that um, they're not probably. And I'm I'm sure that the the coaches who lead those programs would probably balk at the idea that they're not. You know, we're teaching good form and things like that, and then the results are well, no, you're 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 really not. Well, and, and let me let me say this, Garrett. I mean. Even if I even if I were willing to accept and embrace the notion that you can hire high level teachers at that level that will teach good form and proper technique and and really minimize the possibility of those things, I would argue by saying that that doesn't prevent a quarterback from being thrown to the ground head first by a guy who's right. forty pounds heavier than he is. That doesn't prevent. I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Ryan Shazier had pretty good coaching about how to tackle. Yeah, and he never stopped lowering his head. Uh, Vontez Perfect and, never stopped lowering his head, and, and and there are running backs who, when they are about well, to go down, you. are going to put the crown of their helmet into the in between the three and the zero on on the, on the defensive back's jersey, and and that's how they're going to try to get through the tackle. So, I, I think part of the argument to be made for younger kids is, regardless of how well they're being taught, the fact that they are being tackled and being asked to tackle is going to greatly increase the likelihood for that kind of injury. Period. 
and I think some of the some of the awareness, especially more, more recently, and I don't know how much you guys watched Last Chance Do when it was on Netflix, mm-hmm. but if you remember the name Marquise King when it comes to concussions, that boy was probably had four in one season. He had two in one game, and you actually firsthand really got to see the effects of it. You know, he was talking about how for two weeks he basically had to sit in a dark room. There was, you know, any light, any sound gave him, you know, extraneous headaches that were that were almost debilitating. And, you know, you're, guys, we're not the smartest people in the world. I mean, we tried to play through it. I tried to play through injuries when I was young. It's, you know, machismo, but you've only got one brain, and there's no fixing it once the damage is done. I'm glad that somebody watched Last Chance You and can remember one of the players. The only guy I remember is Coach Jason Brown, and that guy's scarred my psyche for the rest of my adult life. <laughs> the idea that that human being was associated with a profession that I value so highly still makes me a little bit squeamish. Yeah, well, I mean, if, if you don't follow that, you do know that the defensive coordinator, Jason, um, oh, uh, the, the couple that moved from California that had three kids, he's their head coach now. Yeah, well, I'm glad somebody else is. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna put it that way. I'm glad somebody else is. Mark, we appreciate your call. We generally do, genuinely do, and uh, always bring some insight to the program. We appreciate your input and hope to talk to you again soon. See you guys. Mark from Van Wert joining us on the AmeriFirst Home Mortgage Hotline. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of people are going to have that type of feeling. And, 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 again, this is a topic we could talk about for a, a, a really long time. Right, this is a, one of those, like, macro topics that is uh, like issues in, in youth sports or whatever yeah. show, not a... And, and then unfortunately, what it does is prevent us from getting to the topic we had planned on discussing today about the Browns without moving some of our other content around, which we may be doing at the, at the top of the next segment. But because I put us so far behind on breaks, I think we're yeah. due for another Don Jing is Julia time yeah. out here. And we're going to go ahead and take that break now. When we get back, we will try to get back into our Browns discussion. And again, you're welcome to join us for 1-888-894 espn That's 888-894-3776. This is Cookie and the Monster on Lima Sports Radio 93.1 The Fan. Welcome back into the Basement Doctor Studios. This is Cookie and the Monster. I am John Cook. He is Garrett Seawright. And before break, we told you we'd be back to talk Cleveland Browns. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the, the, the more buzz there is around this team, it seems to me the less we hear about the day-to-day in Cleveland. Now, again, I think that's an indication of two things. One, people are so anxious to get started, they aren't even really that interested in what's happening right now. Two, I believe the fact that the day-to-day isn't making the news is, is largely in part because of the fact that Stefanski and crew have just taken care of business. I, I, I think this organization, and this team in particular, but this organization has a completely different persona than has existed for, for years but I, and, and I will say this, I occasionally jump on and scan some websites to see what we can find. Clevelandbrowns.com, it, this is how exciting news is around Cleveland right now. You're preseason week two, and they are supposed to play the Giants uh, on the weekend. They are practicing against the Giants on Thursday and Friday this week. Uh, the, the headline at Clevelandbrowns.com is the Browns announce unofficial depth chart for week two of the preseason. Now, how much more exciting can football get than announcement of the unofficial depth say, chart? How is there an, unof- how is there an announcement? Of an unofficial depth chart. I, I, I mean, that's that's the headline we're working off of for today. However, there is some other news and in, in, in a decision that the Browns made recently about their um, execution, if you will, uh, of the week that lies ahead. 
Yeah, so they are going to basically work under the guise of they're not going to decide who's going to play in the second preseason game until after their joint practices with the New York Giants. So that makes me ask, the, I have a couple of questions here. Do you, are, are you treating your joint practices with the Giants as quasi-extra preseason game? Like, are at least above-average scrimmages? Like, are you going harder than a normal, quote-unquote, joint practice? Is that what you're getting at? Well, here's what it, what it says to me. And I, I said this when, when it was announced that they would be practicing twice this week leading up to that game. I don't think they have a tremendous number of men on their roster who need game reps yeah. right now. I, in fact, I think their health and their conditioning is probably priority one. I think there are a handful to a handful and a half of spots on the roster or positions uh, within the roster that are looking to add depth or maybe possibly up for debate as to who is the one or the two, maybe the two or the three is as high mm-hmm. as that goes. And I believe that if you're going to practice for two days against a team like the Giants, you can learn as much about your team in that setting, as you, and it, the controlled setting, as you can in, in a game. And if you're going to do two days' worth of it, it might as well be, and I believe it should be, um, beneficial to the degree where it, it does place less emphasis on that game. And then the game, in my estimation, can be used to uh, make a little money, Well, <laughs> number one. And number two, uh, to focus on the two or three spots where you have legitimate competition. And because their roster's down to 85, and I would guess that, and again, strictly a guess, but I would guess that the people in the front office and the guys that are on the sidelines largely could take that number from 85 to 65. 60, yeah. 60 to 65. Pretty easy right now. So what is going to happen in this second preseason game is going to be, in my estimation, again, possibly you could treat it like the real dress rehearsal. I think it is preseason game number two and preseason game number three are the same thing. We've got four positions, let's say five positions that we've got to make some decisions on. We're going to make a decision on two or three positions after week two in the preseason. We're going to make a couple decisions after week three, and we are going to get ready for week one of live bullets and the real thing. At some point, though, are you somewhat worried that you haven't had that dress rehearsal? That you, I know that you'll have that supreme confidence in, in your guys, and, and you know what you've got because they're not – they are – I hate to say in the perfect spot where they're not too old, they're not too young, they know exactly what they've got, and there aren't question marks at a lot of places. But at some point, you got to have somewhat of a dress rehearsal, right? I, I would think that that's the conventional wisdom, yes. And and all I would I would speculate on that point would be, I'm assuming that, that every day in practice, what they are seeing is telling them. Maybe the live, right. maybe we, we maybe the live action, the dress rehearsal isn't as important. In other words, we've got a veteran group. We know what we want to see, and we are seeing it. That's one side. The other side of the coin is, and and, and here's the thing: I, the, the guy that I thought maybe would want some real live go reps would be would have been Odell Beckham Jr. You know, right. Missed all of last year, most of last year with that injury. Um, largely, I think it is assumed to be true that had he been healthy, they may have really been a legitimate threat to beat the Kansas City Chiefs late in the season with the way things unfolded. Um, I just got to believe that if I'm putting faith in that coaching staff and the way that that organization has operated for the last calendar year plus, 
that if they felt that it was necessary to get these reps, we'd be getting them. The fact that they aren't getting them, to me, because of, of my, I guess, I don't know what I would say, my level of confidence in the way they are operating now puts me in a mind where I'm, as I watch this unfold, I'm trusting that they have what they think they need. Yeah, and I, I think, I don't know if we're trained to to look deeper into what is this, what are they really saying by by doing X, Y, Z or whatever, when it very well could be what, what you said is, we feel good enough and confident enough about our guys that we don't have to treat these preseason games as as dress rehearsals. But I, it just was interesting to me the idea of we're not going to decide on that until after we've practiced twice against the Giants. So are you looking at that as a as a glorified scrimmage? Are you afraid of putting somebody in a situation where they could get hurt or or maybe more hurt? Or are you going that hard those two days that? You would rather have the rest of the guys that you like the the guys that you feel like are going to be contributors on Sunday. You would rather have them sitting out because you're going to go that hard and practice those two days. You know what all of this really says to me is I I can't wait for Monday September 13th because Monday September 13th they are likely to have either beaten the Kansas City Chiefs and or gotten their asses whacked by the Kansas City Chiefs. And we will be saying, those guys knew what they were doing all along. How impressive is this franchise? Let's put them in the Super Bowl. Or we will be saying those dumbasses blew the preseason and they weren't ready for week one. Right. We're talking people off the ledge no matter what. Either they beat the Kansas City Chiefs, who everybody (laughs) believes is going to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl, or... They got stomped by the team that everybody believes is going to represent the AFC at the Super Bowl, and the second-guessing begins a little early. You know, and, and I am I am admittedly a guy who can become enamored with and, and fascinated with the way certain coaches operate in, in, in any sport. Um, but they're, from where I sit, and, I, and sometimes I do, I've said this before, I believe there is a huge benefit to not being a fan of a team. Because I think that it is oh, yeah. easier to have a wide-angle lens uh, when you observe what you observe. But and, and, and Kevin Stefanski is a human being. He is not anything other than that. But he appears to me to be an exceptional head football coach from the standpoint that he, he sets a vision or casts a vision. He creates buy-in. He has built what looks to me to be tremendous relationships with not just the key members of his team, but it feels like the entirety of the team. Right, those ancillary but, guys that aren't going to be the, the people you focus on. And and so even if he, quote-unquote, makes a mistake, I mean, again, I'm, I'm overhyping this to a degree possibly, but when I look back to what they did in the playoffs last year with what they dealt with with COVID, without him there, with all of the things that they had, when that works as well as it did, that speaks to a, an, an atmosphere, an aura, and an air within a franchise of everybody being on the same page yeah. that has lacked in, and lacks in a lot of places, but has lacked in Cleveland for so long. And now when you add to that, that it appears to me that from a football perspective, they not only have a supreme level of talent they've got legitimate professionals at talented and talent at positions that are identified as critical to to success and i'm talking about the ability to get pressure on the passer the ability to cover in the back end guys who can run the football and protect it and 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 then you've got a position the position of quarterback where as cliche as it might be to say it baker mayfield is talented enough to go win you some games but he's not going to be asked to very often 
I think yeah. it just creates a, a, a feeling of security within this team that as this preseason unfolds, I've, I've bought into just wake me up on September 12th. I want to watch him play the Chiefs. Well, yeah, and you, you bring that up. That Yeah, there's very clearly a, a mindset there of they go into Sunday knowing this is how we are going to win, that there was a game plan put together, and if we follow that, there is a very good chance that we will win that game. And I think Kevin Stefanski, maybe one of his best qualities is he has that ability to see where it has gotten off track and steers them back on track that, okay, we wanted to do X, Y, Z. We're not able to do that, or we we didn't do that in the first half. Here we come in the second half, and we're, we're going to change it up. We're going to make sure that we do what we need to do. You're you're right that they have competent people, and not just competent people, really some of the best in their, their field um, of doing what they do, where competent would have been an acceptable level, you know, for so long because <laughs> an exciting level, right, right, because for so long it was flat out incompetence and now that they're not there anymore it's kind of it's kind of exciting and invigorating to think what could this season be but i gotta be honest the, the somewhat unconventional way the preseason is unavoiding in cleveland does kind of make me wish that hard knocks was there i'd like to oh. hear i'd like to know what the behind the scenes sounds like a little bit a little bit uh, a peek behind that curtain because i you know, i am not a browns fan i'm excited to see what the what they deliver because it has been a little bit of a unique preseason. It's obviously shorter, but when they say that they're not deciding who's going to play on Sunday till after these Thursday and Friday practices, it it it, it leads me to believe that they have a very very high comfort level with virtually everything about their team, and they're going to make a few decisions and they're going to minimize the importance of and the risk that they take in these preseason games. And I don't see that as anything that's even hard to defend, to be honest with you. We're going to take our next Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout, and when we come back from this, I can't believe we're into our last segment. We're going to get around that water cooler and uh, throw out some ideas, talk about what's ahead for us this evening. And one of those things is I'm going to watch a little NBA Summer League and fill you in on the latest uh, from some of our Lima Land products that are attempting uh, to latch on in the NBA. We'll get to that and more when we get to the other side of this Don Jenkins Jeweler timeout, Cookie and the Monster on Lima Sports Radio 93.1 The Fan. Final segment, Cookie and the Monster. I'm John Cook. He is Garrett Seawright, and we are at the end of the program, which for us has become time where we talk poll results, and then what's the topics of the day at the water cooler? So on our poll results today, we asked, should parents let their wait until their child's 14 to allow them to play tackle football? 53% say yeah. A little surprised by that. It's veered back the other way just a bit. Yeah. Uh, also asked, would you make the trip to Iowa to see the Reds and Club Cubs in the Field of Dreams game in 2022? 68% say yes. Yeah, let's hold on and see where we are on August 11th of 2022. <laughs> uh, that's, that's true. So, <laughs> depending on how that goes. Some Reds fans might not be up for a nine-hour trip there. To... But our station can go ahead and work on getting a set of tickets we can, for that. We can, I, we can work on... Yeah, I can, I can drive to Iowa. Yeah, we can nice. work on doing a show from the parking lot or something. How sweet. Uh, we also asked, what should the Big Ten's arrangement with the ACC and Pac-12 be? 69% say scheduling alliance. <laughs> Merger! And our final poll question is, Joey Votto a Hall of Famer? 68% say yes. I hope they're right. I hope they're right. right I, I would love to see him. I just don't know that... I just don't know that he jumps off the page of the whole thing. Uh, and and, and want to see him in there. I actually would love to to hear his speech. I think he would oh, potentially man. be that'd pretty be daggone that'd entertaining. Pretty daggone entertaining, but that'd be fun. Um, 
I don't know how many people pay attention to the NBA Summer League. I, I, I would guess it is a topic of conversation that comes up virtually never around the water cooler. But the water cooler I'm at, it's going to come up because I'm not only interested <laughs> in the NBA Summer League, I'm also interested in local stories. And most of us uh, around here are aware that both Xavier Simpson and Dakota Mathias have played in the Summer League in Vegas this summer. Uh, Xavier's been playing for the Lakers. I've gotten to see bits and pieces of, of about four of the games. Can't watch them all. Too much going on. Some of them are a little harder to find. Um, I, you say what you will about Xavier Simpson. I, he can run a basketball team. And, and when he is on the floor, um, he just looks like he fits. I would love to believe there's a chance that he can get a camp invite, maybe a two-way contract. Just on the strength of what he's able to do as a floor general and as, a, as an on-ball defender, I still believe that those two things are incredibly important um, in the NBA. And, and it, There's a lot of feeling that if you aren't a shooter, you, you, you probably can't play, mm-hmm. but there's, there's guys in the league that prove that that's not true, and, and I think he's <laughs> going to shoot it better than you think. Um, you know, they said for years that, that Rondo couldn't shoot, and he stayed in the league, and he became – he's more than a serviceable open shooter, which I believe is, is certainly what, what Xavier would be. And then Dakota has been playing for the Utah Jazz. He's been very up and down. Um, but yeah. today was their final game of the summer league, and Dakota scored 22. Wow. And I'm, I'm very interested to see what his future looks like. He's had some interesting times in the NBA um, and and again, I don't you know he he was not very good yesterday in terms of his final numbers. But today they lost uh, their consolation game uh, by five, one hundred three ninety eight to the Sixers. Um, Dakota was the second leading scorer uh, for the Jazz. Jarrell Martin had twenty three. Dakota had twenty two. And at seven o'clock tonight on ESPN News, uh, Xavier and the Lakers will take on the Warriors in their final summer league game. If you're really interested in who might win the league, the championship, the final of the NBA summer league is nine o'clock tonight. Uh, on ESPN, that'll be the Kings and the Celtics in that one. But I want to wish best of luck to both of those guys as they uh, work hard toward whatever the next step in their basketball journey might be, and keep our fingers crossed for both of them. So, what's on uh, what's on the docket for you tonight, Cookie? What's, uh, what's I am the... going to finish. I finally did start, but I am going to finish Malice at the Palace, uh, oh, the, un- gotcha. the untold documentary Malice at the Palace. I've watched enough. My son came downstairs. My 18-year-old son came downstairs, number one. That's newsworthy (laughs) that he came downstairs. Number two, he spoke when he came downstairs and said to me, are we going to get dinner? And by the way, I'm watching this Malice at the Palace (laughs) thing, Dad, and I've got chills. Like, he's showing me the goosebumps on his arms. Priorities there. Yes. So we established we were getting dinner, and then we talked about it, and he was really into it, really, really into it, and I am into it. I if you don't know or remember Jermaine O'Neal as a player, uh, he's one of the executive producers on this documentary, and he is a big part of it. Reggie Miller is also a big part of it, as is Ron Artest. Um, Jermaine O'Neal is a fascinating guy, and I think it's a fascinating watch. I'm, I mean, it's 2004, so it's a lifetime ago, but I'm going to be catching that. I'll be getting a little bit of Summer League in, and I'm going to be watching that, and then my old ass will probably be in bed before 10. Just what? tell it like I see it. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate so you, you joining us on today's show uh, here at Cookie and the Monster. We really do appreciate your listenership. Thanks to those of you who were able to tune in and to Mark from Van Wert for calling and sharing his thoughts on a couple of our topics. And we hope that you will have a wonderful evening. We'll be back again tomorrow. Tomorrow's show is going to be shortened, I believe. The, the Tribe have a game, so we're going to be joining you after that game. We're hoping to be on by about 4.30-ish, and maybe a little later than that. But uh, other than that, we hope you enjoy your evening and, and be back here, same bat time, same bat channel tomorrow here on Lima Sports Radio, 93.1 The Fan.